Welcome to the Sin of Our Fathers podcast. My name is Matthew Kuhn. I'm your host this week. I'm joined by my older brother, Michael Kuhn. Hey, everybody. And we are missing our third wheel, our youngest brother, Mark. He's off. I guess he had something better to do. The flaky one? The flaky one. Yes. Uh, And as always, our podcast is brought to you by Barbasol. The new Barbasol Shave Club is featuring the premium Ultra 6 Plus Razor. Barbasol, the brand trusted by men for nearly 100 years to deliver a close, comfortable shave. Visit Barbasol.com to join the Barbasol Shave Club today. Use discount code BROWNS. That's B-R-O-W-N-S, a discount code only available through the Sin of Our Fathers podcast. Use that code at checkout to receive $2 off your initial shave kit order. So this week, the Browns came off a week six six loss to the L.A. Chargers. And I got to be honest, this entire season has had me very uncomfortable. It's in a place that I don't, I'm I'm not used to being. But now sitting here at this table recording this podcast after the Browns just getting dominated feels very much at home for for what we've done, what we're used to. trying to like muster the energy to, to talk about something that was so disappointing. Um, there was a lot going on in this game. Um, we kind of just got run over on, on both lines. Yep. I, I'm, I it's think hard to that's, argue with. that's fair to say. We lost this game in the trenches. Um, what was kind of the biggest thing? I know you got a chance to watch the game a second time today. What was the biggest thing that maybe stood out on the second watch that didn't on the first? So – I, I don't know. I agree and I disagree with you in the sense that, like, we got trounced. Like, last season, I felt like we were on the precipice and we could never close for a majority of the year. We didn't win a single game. So, yes, the fact that we lost and we're bemoaning, a, like, a loss that was definitive is familiar. But this was worse than what we've experienced in many of our recent games, even going back to last year. So I actually looked at this, and I'm going to throw a question back at you. The Bengals game last year came to mind while we were watching it. Yes. Okay. It did. And in fact, so I won't even ask you the question. The last time the Browns lost by 24 or more points was that Bengals game, which was week four last year, so more than a full season ago. We didn't have a margin of defeat but that's a, this hu- big. That's, a, that's a huge margin of defeat. Oh, it <laughs> is. It is. But we're talking about like an improved team. And then we were played a game at home and we got absolutely crushed. Do you know? Do you know? On both sides of the field. Like, so I, I mean, I know that it's like. But off the top of your head, do you know, happen to remember how many times we lost by more than 14 points, more than two touchdowns? I looked at it earlier. I, mean, I, I might I feel still like, have it up. I feel like that's like a, a thorough like lashing in the NFL. Week uh, two. More, more than 14 points. Week two, we lost by 14. Ravens, 24. Browns, 10. Um, Texans. That was, the Kevin that was Hogan so game, disappointing. Lost oh. by more than 14. The London game against the Vikings ended up being more than 14, but that was a late um late run by the Vikings. The Lions beat us by more than 14, exactly, 38 to 24. Bengals, again, was exactly 14. And the Ravens, 27 to 10, week 15. 
Yeah, see, all of these games aren't close. Like, they're not 24-point margin of victories, but they're not close. Yeah, that's five or six games at least. Yeah. So, anyways, my takeaway from watching, to answer your, go back to your question. And I felt this when watching the game, but our special teams actually put us in position to win the game. Like, they did their job. There was nothing that special teams did that hurt us. And it felt like our offense really is what lost us this game in the first half because we had so many opportunities where we had the ball on the right side of the field in good field position, and we couldn't make anything happen with it. So I went back and logged all of our drives where our field position was. Okay, It's very surviving the season of you. Oh, so yes. So the first possession was the worst one. We punted after like getting one first down, which was fine. It started a couple positive plays, and then we ended up punting. It was okay. We flipped the field a little bit, and it was fine. The next possession, we got to the Chargers 45, and we just stopped and had to punt. But we made it past the – like we kept getting into this area of the field and then stalling and having right. to punt. And it was so frustrating because you get another 10 yards, you have a scoring opportunity, and we just like weren't making that happen. Next possession, we got all the way to the 35 and then took a sack and had to end up punting. The next possession was our first field goal. The possession after that, we got to the 35 and got sacked again and got kicked out of field goal range. Then we got down to the 22, and this was like that possession where we decided to go for it on fourth down, which I wholly disagreed with. Yeah, can we talk about that real quick? After I finish. And we failed the fourth down, so that was a turnover on downs. And then at the very end of the half, we had that late rally. We got down to the, basically to the goal line and then had to settle for the field goal. But we were on the Chargers' side of the field the entire first half. And we came away with three, no, six points. Six, six points at half. That could have easily been nine, but even still nine is super disappointing given that. So the biggest difference to me is the freaking Chargers were putting the ball in the end zone every time, and the Browns couldn't even sniff the end zone. Well, isn't that the biggest difference when you lose in a football game? Um, yeah, but it wasn't like we were. Th- it was a three and out for the Browns every time, which is what it felt like because we were getting crushed so bad on the scoreboard. That was not the case. Yeah, we would move the ball and then we would get sacked. Like we couldn't protect. It was just ugly all the way around. Yeah. So let's let me take you back to that uh, second quarter possession when we got down to the twenty-two yard line. Uh, the score was fourteen to three. It was fourth and two. Yep. We had from an opportunity about the from about yard the twenty-two line. yard line. We had an opportunity to either kick the field goal, which. Greg Joseph was pretty on yesterday, so likely chance that that goes in. Or what Hugh Jackson chose to do, and that's go for it on fourth down, fourth and two. We hadn't been extremely effective moving the ball, hadn't really run the ball much. We'd been trying these like passes, even though we don't have wide receivers. <laughs> so take away the play call. We'll, we can talk about that separately. What did you think about that decision at that point in the game, to go for it on fourth down from that spot on the field, given the how much time was left in the game, the score, et cetera. So my take on this is that there's like two components when you're making a decision like this as a coach. So there's like the down and distance and like field position side of it. 
and like the time left in the game and like all of that. So like the very black and white, like what you could decide before the game is going on. And then there's the in-game, like how things are going portion of it. And I think you, as a good head coach allows that to influence his decision a little bit one way or the other. Your baseline is the black and white. Where are we? How much are we down? Is it going to hurt us too much if we don't get there? And then the next level of decision-making is, how's this going? Do we feel confident that we can pull this off based on the flow of the game? On neither account do I feel comfortable with the Browns going for this on this fourth and two for 22 because you kick that field goal, you're within one score. Yes, it's still early in the game, but as you play the rest of the game forward, you're gonna. That's one score that you're away, and it significantly changes things if you are down by 11 points versus eight points. And so, I don't think there's any reason that you should have gone for this. And making it worse is exactly what you just said. We were not running the ball well. We were not executing our offense very effectively or smoothly. They looked completely lost. So. I have no idea why Hugh Jackson decided to go for it. I think that it was one of many instances in this game where the Browns just felt completely demoralized and it just led to this downward trajectory where they ultimately like gave up in the middle of the third quarter. Yeah, I in general I like to be more aggressive on on fourth down calls. I don't think I don't think in the in a vacuum, I really have a problem with going for a fourth and two there on that part of the field because you don't get it. You're not giving up good field position. That portion of the game, it just felt so much more important. It felt like we were just trying to weather a storm, like like things weren't going in our direction. Like Yeah, get to halftime in a decent position. Up, we'd given up that first Tyrell Williams touchdown, you know, like we're trying, we're beating our head against the wall, and then the Chargers come out and they're – everything seemed seemingly working. We just needed to survive, kick the field goal, be within a score. You survive, you live to play the second half, and you're within striking distance. Um, I thought that was a questionable call, especially... I made the statement when we decided to go for it, for the record. And I think Hugh's probably just trying to look for a spark. He's like crap like we're like sucking yes we're trying to survive like if we convert this like it's going to be a spark but i think when you make emotional decisions like that like you're asking for asking for trouble yeah no absolutely but i don't know that i mean the downside to not getting it like if you if you think you need a spark like how demoralizing is it when oh, you exactly when you it's don't like swinging get it and it's like oh just another punch to the nuts oh yeah like it really was. So there was about three or four moments in this game that like knocked us down another significant notch, and this mm-hmm. was one of them. The like the the non call on the offsides was which, which another was shortly, one. Which just was shortly after that. thereafter, this. Um, right. So that was a was that the third time in three weeks that there's been there's been a huge obvious officiating um, error that has gone against the Browns. Yes, I'm thinking in. The Raiders game started this trend with the the Carlos Hyde reversal. Yep. Um, and then in the Ravens game last week, we had that uncatchable pass on fourth down. It was Jarvis Landry was kind of running the wheel route, got tackled. They ruled the ball uncatchable, um, even though 
it's questionable to say the least. And then this week, I, and you don't see refs miss that call that often. I and don't recall. Yeah. And look, and agree as egregious as that one was, which is hilarious. It's always hilarious when you hear the announcers like talk about it and be like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> how did, how did that happen? And this is just kind of what happens. And look, mistakes are made. Like the, the referees are, are human beings and they're, they're making errors left and right. The difference is that it feels like when it's, in these Browns games, especially so far this season, these have been such impactful moments and impactful errors. If Yeah, this happens and they score a 35-yard touchdown on yeah, the same play. If, if that ball falls incomplete, nobody cares. And right. it just becomes an inconsequential error. Um, they didn't call that false start. Half the defense stopped because it was so obvious, and then which they shouldn't do. But no. then there's the 35-yard touchdown. And it just it just feels like this uphill battle every single week that we're not even we're not facing the other team we're facing these like errors that are just like going in the other direction against us. Yeah, I don't want to dwell on it too much because it clearly didn't have that much of an impact on the game, but it definitely was another one of those moments where like it felt like the Browns were losing their soul. Like that much more, but it's that it's that like two minute turnaround. It's it's not making it on fourth down, and then giving up that touchdown when you kind of feel unjustly yep like screwed, and suddenly it's twenty one to three, and the game's basically over. Well, but then we got the ball back and we put a little drive together and got down there and we couldn't put it in the end zone again. It was just weird from the very beginning of this game. The body language and like what you saw from the Browns, like just wasn't what we've seen in recent weeks. They weren't there. I don't know if they weren't prepared. I don't know if like a bunch of them partied on Saturday night and like <laughs> woke up on the wrong side. Hungover. But it literally looked like Baker Mayfield was hungover, and that was even before he like jacked up his ankle. Like I, I, I didn't see one person on the sideline that seemed pissed. I didn't hear fans that were like really energetic or like frustrated. The only time I really heard them was whenever they were booing the non-offsides call. Like the whole stadium seemed dead. Well, I think I think there was a life coming into it, and then the way that the Chargers hit the hit the ground running, like it just has a a tendency to suck the life out of the place. Um, Baker didn't look good. We came into this game. We obviously Derek Willies broke his collarbone in practice on Friday. Had to go in the IR. So we had we were already shorthanded at wide receiver. He was our fifth wide receiver. So I've heard other people talk about this. What were they doing at Friday practice where Derek Willies broke his collarbone? <laughs> I don't know. Are are they usually in pads on Fridays? I wouldn't think so. But maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I hadn't really thought about that. I was just picturing football practice and. Whatever. Um, we signed Brashad Perriman on Saturday. Good gracious. I don't, obviously, he wasn't prepared to play the next day. I don't know if he's ever prepared to play in an NFL game, but we'll see. So we come into this game with four wide receivers. I think it was the first punt of the game. Rod Streeter collided with one of the other, our other coverage players. Was down for a while. Turns out he fractured a vertebrae in his neck. So now he's on the IR. 
we have to poor play. guy might be done for his career. Yeah. It's a, certainly a tough break for Rod Streeter. But now we have to play the rest of the game with only three wide receivers available in an offense that kind of goes base three wide receiver a lot of the time. How did you think we handled that? Um, Damian Ratley ended up playing nearly 75% of the offensive snaps. He played I thought, well. I thought Callaway looked gassed at the end of the game. I, I mean, they all looked gassed. They were all half-assing it. Yeah, because they were running like crazy. They all played almost every single snap. I mean, good thing Callaway got that practice in the preseason. We did throw. <laughs> okay, so we did throw some passes. I'm just ignoring that comment. Uh, we did <laughs> throw some passes. Funny though. To <laughs> we did throw some passes to Duke, but m- from what I remember seeing, none of them were from him lining up as a receiver. They were all passes that came from out of the backfield, which I'm still supportive of. I'm not trying to dissuade the Browns from doing that more, but. Why in the world do you not line up Duke out there? It makes no sense. It seems like the Chargers were completely keying on Jarvis Landry, as they should, and letting, you know, putting less attention on the other two guys, which is exactly what I would do if I was scheming these wide receivers. So yeah, let's put know. Duke out there, who's an actual threat, and spread Njoku out there more. And then why in the world is Seth DeValve not getting more than, I think he only got one snap in this game. He's healthy. Let him play. He's another pass catching threat. Yeah, it doesn't make doesn't make a whole ton of sense. The what are they doing? The personnel choices that we made to make. We they always talk about Duke playing wide receiver, and yet it never actually happens. Well, they talk about that he had takes practice reps there. So why is he taking practice reps there if they're never going to put him in there, especially in a dire situation like this? Yeah, this would seem this would seem to be the opportunity to just say. All right, you're gonna run 50 plays at wide receiver. And Lord knows his hands are better than Antonio Callaway's. Well, that's not hard. It's not. That's not hard. Jarvis Landry had his worst game of the season by far. Um, was targeted nine times, caught two balls for 11 yards. The worst. Um, oh gosh. He was double teamed all game. But he also missed a few catches he that missed, were like within he, his normal catch radius. He did miss a few catches, um, and he also. I mean, dude struggles to separate from single coverage, much much less a double team. Like, sure. he's not the biggest guy. He's not fast. So he's not I, – I don't know what he's supposed to do if he gets doubled. He's going to get taken out of the game. You've got to utilize your other weapons. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're going to take a guy out of the game, that's great. That just should open up the rest of the offense yeah. to execute and make you pay. Like, it, that's what it, you have to do as a, a winning offense – takes advantage of that situation, and puts points on the board. Njoku had 12 targets, 7 receptions, 55 yards, and a very nice touchdown pass. Um, but, Michael, what do you think this team needs to do with the wide receivers? We're probably still a few weeks away from Rashard Higgins being able to come back on the field. I haven't seen a timeline for that, but I would assume he's out two to three weeks. So that would be... At least another week, probably two. What what options do we have out there? I think we need to run a slightly different offense. Less reliant on the wide receivers. Exactly what I just described. Like, let's get a few more multiple tight end sets out there. 
We have some talent at tight end. We Seth DeValve and David Njoku can catch passes. Maybe some multiple running back sets where you have Duke Johnson out there with Carlos Hyde or with Nick Chubb. Like, those are the playmakers on this team. Like, going deep and putting Brashad Perryman is, like, out there when he doesn't know the offense and can't even catch a football when he does know the offense. Like, as we saw for three-plus years on the Ravens. I mean, I will say I am probably the biggest Brashad Perryman hater. Like, I remember when he was coming into the draft, it was the one single player I did not want the Browns to draft. And this is way different, picking him up like this, than drafting him in the first round, like the Ravens did. So this is nowhere near as egregious as that, because he doesn't cost us a darn thing. But still, there's about 10 receivers on the free agent block right now that I would take before Brashad Perriman. So I'm not expecting him to catch one pass as a Cleveland Brown. If he does anything to help this team, it's going to be a positive. If he gets out there, gets a pass thrown his way and catches it, I will be surprised. That is really like the level of expectation I have for Brashad Perriman. So my solution is completely outside of that. It is the guys on the team that have proven to be able to make plays. You need to highlight them more, and you need to gear the offense around them. Don't we have a, a guy on the practice squad? Isn't like C.J. Board on the practice squad? He got hurt at the end of the season. At the end right. of the preseason. Yeah, he's currently a free agent. Um, so some of the other guys who are free agents. Obviously, everybody's going to talk about Des Bryant. Um, other free agents out there. We've got Jeremy Macklin, who's been an accomplished receiver in the league. He's only thirty years old. Um, I think he's probably the the highest upside guy that you're going to find. We've got some old Browns who've spent time here in Cleveland before. Jordan Leslie. We've got, uh, what's Cason Williams up to? Got Bryce Treggs, I think, is probably still a free agent. (laughs) There's a whole crew of guys that rolled out there last year. Googling Bryce Treggs. It's so frustrating. Free agent. So, like, bring that guy back. Like, like we, we need bodies at this point. I don't. I don't really understand what, what we're doing, and hopefully we'll but, sign a, but sign we a need, couple guys Yes, before. we need bodies, but they signed Brashad Perryman as one of those bodies. Like, why? Yeah. Why? Gonna, I, yes, we need bodies, but like, I don't think Brashad Perryman counts as a body. I'd rather have Bryce Treggs. He can breathe, yes, but like he can't catch footballs. He can run fast. That's about it. Like The only thing I really would trust Brashad Perryman to do is run a go route. And then I don't even think he's going to win the ball if you throw it up for him to like on a contested ball. Right. And did he play any special teams with the Ravens? I don't even remember. Doubt it. Gosh. Yeah. Our wide receiver core is decimated at the moment. It doesn't help that um, our best wide receiver, who is our highest paid wide receiver, struggles to, to get open. And he's physically limited. Our wide receiver who can get open can't catch the football. And then our other wide receiver hardly played at Texas A&M, and we drafted him anyway. Can we talk about – I'm sick of talking about these stupid wide receivers. We need a lot of help, and I don't think an answer is coming anytime soon because our coaches um, don't seem to be able to put the right players in position to succeed, our best players in a position to succeed. And um, 
we just don't have talent at that spot. So let's just not dwell on the negative things. Let's look at on that side of the ball. Let's look at negative things on the defensive side of the ball. What in the world were they doing? We were the second-ranked defense in DVOA, and we looked like a freaking high school team playing like the Alabama Crimson Tide. We got pushed off the ball every single running play. They ran jet sweep after jet sweep. They ran to the outside and blocked every single one of our guys. Not one person was making an aggressive play towards the ball. Like, it was pathetic. Is this all coaching? Is it desire? Like, what was going on? Yeah, it's like they were sleepwalking, and we, we did a terrible job setting the edge. I saw a few times where Jamie Collins did this, where he, instead of, instead of taking on the, the lead blocker, he would, would kind of just, like, duck away from it. And he, w- he would take the lead blocker out of the play, but he, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't force the, the runner off of his line or impact the, the, the runner in any way. Um, and that just is kind of a half-assed effort, which is kind of Jamie Collins' mo. It's Jamie at his worst, um, which was definitely yesterday. He when he, he wasn't when Philip Rivers blows you up on a block, like yeah, and it's things like that where he's just it's, you're wondering what the, what the heck if if you if most linebackers in this league recognize that the quarterback's coming to try to block them, they're licking their chops. Yeah, it's a it's a free opportunity to just lay one on the quarterback. Um, so I don't understand what, what's up with that. We got torched over and over and over again by the jet sweep. So that's either coaching, not recognizing it and making the adjustment, or not even having that like ability in the defense in the first place to, to have a play that would allow you to stop, stop that play. It seems it's so elementary and so simple. They would run the jet sweep, and then they would run just Melvin Gordon, like, stretch play to the outside. And They scored on just about the exact same play to Melvin Gordon on the outside three oh, yeah. times. Three times they scored touchdowns with the exact same play, seemingly, just to different sides. Yeah. And look, don't get me wrong. The Chargers are good. They've got a good offensive line. Melvin Gordon's a beast. Really difficult to tackle. He's strong. He slips through holes. But it was a pretty pathetic effort. I am surprised that this is the first time that we've gotten, like, torched on the ground. Because I don't think we're a very good run. Oh, we were, like, more than torched on the ground. We gave up over 240 rushing yards. Yeah. That's abysmal. You're going to lose every single time. Every time. If you give up 240 rushing Phillip Rivers yards. only had to pass the ball 20 times because every time they handed the ball off, it was a huge gain. Another thing that was a sign that this defense just wasn't showing up, it took four guys to tackle every single one of their running backs. Like, every time we got there and were in position to make a tackle, he just bounced, our defender just bounced right off Melvin Gordon or Eckler. It was on. Un- Unbelievable. You know who like seemingly wasn't present, just like didn't show up to me like when I was watching the game? I didn't feel like I saw Jabril Peppers on defense at all. Like I don't remember him making a play, period. I remember his returns. He did quite well actually on punt returns. Yeah, I don't remember. 
I know he had to be out there. This is funny. Who do you think was the third leading rusher in the game for both teams? Duke Johnson. Keenan Allen. Oh, gosh. The top two were Melvin Gordon, Austin Eckler, and Keenan Allen. Four rushes, 41 yards. Okay. Duke, Duke led us with two carries for 36. Duke had two carries for 36, and he had four catches as well in this game. For 73. I mean... 100 yards. Average 18 yards a touch. Not bad. Yep, only six carries. Yeah, uh, only six touches. That's all he needs. We gotta, we gotta find a way to get Duke about ten touches a game. I think, um, and there's really no excuse anymore with no wide receivers to speak of. Uh, Michael, are you concerned about Baker Mayfield? This was, this is by far his worst game. Um, we saw early in the game as on his scramble, he stepped on the first down marker, slipped tweaked his ankle it was early but he just seemed a little bit off even before that and i don't yeah. i don't know to what extent that ankle injury was bothering him or um whatnot he, he missed some throws that were uncharacteristic um could have been impacted by by his footwork and not being confident and stepping into it um what did you see oh I'm going to – I don't think I'm going to dive into this too much. Like, he clearly was affected by the Chargers' pass rush. Our tackles did a horrible job of, like, giving him space and time. Our receivers also suck, and so he didn't have anywhere to go with the ball. And he seemed off, and I think it was the perfect storm of just everything not going well. It is by far the worst he's looked. This was – I'm hoping this was an anomaly, and we'll see what we're looking at with the Bucks this next week. The Bucks have been one of the worst, if not the worst, pass defense in the NFL thus yeah. far. So It's just what the doctor ordered. It's exactly what the doctor ordered. So I'm hoping to move on and hoping that Baker is moving on and that they're driving hard towards beating the Bucks on Sunday. Because we're probably going to have to score a crap ton of points to win because I think that that Bucks offense is pretty solid. Yeah, I mean, they're going to be able to score... They're gonna be able to Fortunately, the Bucks can't run the ball. All they do, all they do is pass. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I'll I'll give Jameis Winston the ball to throw fifty times a game and 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 take my chances. Um, Hopefully, we can get some turnovers out of that. Yeah, with Baker, I feel like this offense was just so limited, hamstrung by the personnel options that we had on the field, and even. Even the um, groupings that we could run out there. But it's just so frustrating that our freaking coaches suck so bad that they can't adjust in the middle of the game to do anything to put them in better position. Yeah. And, like, and, what kind of crap coaching staff is that? And, and you wish, On both sides of the ball, that was true. We no, didn't make any adjustments. No, and that's absolutely fair. Um, but we've got – it just looked like Baker was in the pocket, was going through his progressions. His, his first look was always covered. Yeah, and then he would go through, and nobody else was getting open. If you you saw he he made a couple of nice throws to Callaway that were either just out of reach or some something happened he dropped it, you know. Um, and he would go through his progression. One thing I'd like to see him do is throw the ball away quicker from the pocket instead of. Yeah, there were times when he'd reset after the rush and have like a little window to get rid of the ball, and he would tuck it. And he just needs to do it, but that's absolutely his fault. Um, 
I, I don't think at the end of the day that it's any sort of worrying regression or, or anything like that. I think that this was a tough situation to be put in for any quarterback. Um, and the fact that the really dis- – the, so we talked about the there was a few key plays where it seemed like the Browns got demoralized. The third one, in my opinion, was when the Browns got the ball in the second half and in the first play he tried to throw that throw to the outside to Jarvis Landry that got picked. That was yeah, our very first throw in the third quarter. I mean, that was a bad throw by Baker. He put too much air underneath it. Rolling out to his left. That was that one. Yep. Yep. And he got undercut. It was close. He almost like got it out to him. He just left it too much on the inside, and it got picked, and then the Chargers had it in the red zone, and that was really – the game was over. Yeah, that's a brutal – you're trying to mount the comeback 21-6. to six. We get the stop after kicking to the Chargers early in the – you know, with the first possession. We get the ball back, and then yeah. bam. You're broken after that. That was it. Yeah, for sure. And it was really like – there was no ounce of energy from the Browns after that point. It was completely done. I think it was two or three plays, and the Chargers scored after that. It was bad. So coming out of this game, looking to next week, probably the biggest thing coming out of this game is Joe Schobert left this game in the second half with a hamstring injury. Um, They're kind of calling it week to week. Hugh, with his classic line, he's going to miss some time. Hey, that's fine. So that, that that's good PR for Hugh. That's the way he should handle things. Keep it gray. No, and that's fine. I'm not criticizing that. I'm just it's that's always his like go to. Yeah. His his go to line. Um I I would suspect Joe Schobert is out this week. I will for sure. We'll see coming going to Pittsburgh. Um that's gonna be a big loss for this defense. He's a guy who's played every single snap so far this season on defense. Makes this defense work in a lot of ways because he can get deep from that middle linebacker position on um, zone blitzes and whatnot and cover players that other middle linebackers in this league cannot. How do you think we shift things up or manage not having Joe Schobert in the middle? I meant to look at this when I rewatched the game. I would assume that you move Kirksey over into the middle and then keep Collins and Burgess on the outside and maybe keep a- and rotate Avery in there for Burgess. I think on that I think downs. that is what happened when when we had three linebackers on the field. Yeah, I mean Kirksey's a solid middle linebacker. I'm not like super worried about Kirksey having to play in that spot. Um but I do think you lose a little bit of versatility with Kirksey in there. Um cuz Schobert's uh, a notch more athletic than Mr. Kirksey is. And I think you're going to see that. But honestly, what we need is freaking Jamie Collins to step up and play like a man, play like the contract that he's getting. Like, he's just been so-so. He's had a few games where he's flashed a few plays this year, but he hasn't been a difference maker by any means. And now that we're down, Schobert, like, we need him more than ever. So I, he's at least got to show some more effort than he did this last week. I mean, honestly, I think it might lead us to – we've probably been in a situation where we've played three linebackers more than most teams would because Joe Schobert can do so many different things. 
I think it's going to be a situation where Kindred. it forces us into yeah more Derek Kindred, more Jabril Peppers, uh, more nickel looks. Um, when traditionally me. we've been going with Joe Schobert, just covering those tight ends or slot receivers or whatever. Um, so we'll see. That kind of has a trickle-down effect, though, of maybe a little less Jannard Avery. We didn't see him a lot in this game, which is unfortunate. Um, we could have used a little more pass rush at times. Although well, they only they passed the ball 20 times. So. so it's it's tough to rush the passer when there's no passing being had. Um, but I, I wouldn't mind seeing that. I mean, we've, we've got those two players who are pretty good there in, in Kindred and Peppers, and I think we can kind of patch it together and, and um, change up the scheme a little bit and maybe, maybe account for this loss. Um, going into Tampa Bay next week, we mentioned that Tampa Bay has a pretty poor defense so far this season. Michael, today it came out that they fired their defensive coordinator, Mike Smith, former head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. Yep. How did you feel about that? Is that a career for Mike Smith? It's if if you get fired from being a head coach and then fired as being a defensive coordinator too, like what are you gonna do? Go back and coach positions? I mean, some guys just love coaching, so maybe. But ahead of facing a team, if their defense is struggling, would you rather them keep the defensive coordinator who's having a hard time or make a change and have a new guy? and have, like, the, the turmoil of that week heading in. I view it differently. I think it's not turmoil of the week. I think it's, like, an emotional high. We need to, like, make this happen, turn things around. You kind of rally a little bit for the new guy. For the Duff, the new guy, Mark Duffner, and linebacker's so coach, 20 I, years in the league. Yeah, I think that this is going to work against the Browns in this particular instance. At least it, that's the way I have seen this happen in the past. So that's my assumption. Of course, I always think everything happens for the worse for the Browns. It's never good for the Browns. But, Lord, I hope I hope that their defense sucks just as much as usual. Because we're going to be there for the freaking game. Yeah, we're going down to Tampa. So this is as good a time as any to, to bring this up. We're heading down to Tampa. We're bringing the whole crew. So it's going to be uh, the three brothers – our dad's coming with us. Um, grandpa's coming over from his little re- retirement village that he lives in. Uh, we're going to take Tampa by storm, I suppose. Um, we're getting in on Saturday. We'll go to the game. We've got a couple of things fun planned. Um, Adam Gerrer? How do you pronounce their last name? It's Herrer. Herrer. Yeah. Oh, it's an H. Yeah. Why, why am I so in, such an idiot? I don't know. I don't know. Um, from surviving the season. Yeah, so Adam from surviving the season lives down in Tampa. Um, he's going to the game as well. Um, we're going to meet up after the game, whether regardless of whether the Browns win or lose. Uh, might impact the, the feel of the moment. Um, we're going to be at the Tampa Bay Brewing Company in Ybor City after the game. Um, We'll head there shortly after after the final whistle. We'll probably get there around five thirty, I would imagine. Um, but if you're if you're in the Tampa area, if you're in for the game, just visiting, or if you live there, um, if you're a fan of ours or of the surviving season guys, come on by. We'll hang out. We'll have a couple beers. We'll talk football. Um, we'll watch some of the later games. I'm sure on the TV. Drink away uh, our sorrows. Drink away our sorrows, or celebrate being five hundred once again. Probably be a few beers either way. 
absolutely. There's you. We can always find a reason to drink a few beers. So, again, we'll be in Tampa um, at the Tampa Bay Brewing Company on Sunday after the Bucks game, five thirty. Come on by. Um, we'd love to say hey. And if you listen to us, if you like us, that'd be great. If you hate us, talk to Mark. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and pick the lines. We don't have Mark here, but he provided his uh, picks via text message, so we can go ahead and move forward. Um, if you don't know, we always go through and pick the a couple games each week, keep a running tally as a nice brotherly competition. So first game we pick is the um, Thursday nighter, which this week Denver is heading to Arizona, and probably no one in the world is going to watch this game. Uh, but Denver is favored by we've, we've had two and good, a half. We've had some good Thursday night games, and this is just not one of them. Denver at Arizona, yikes. Um, so Denver's favored by two and a half. Matthew, what's your pick there in Arizona? You know, I like what Josh Rosen's doing down there in Arizona. He looked really good yesterday, but the whole rest of that team, man, I don't know. Um, Denver's always got that defense. I think they've got just enough on a firepower on offense. Case Keenum moving the ball around, even though I'm not a huge fan. Uh, Philip Lindsay is is incredible. I'm gonna go with Denver. Hmm. I'm gonna be contrary and pick Arizona. I think they're catching a little bit of steam, trying to figure things out. Um. I'm still just tantalized. I like when there's crappy teams like this playing each other. I tend to go for the home team. It's really what it comes down to. I mean, they're playing at home. I think it's going to help them out. Hopefully they can tap into David Johnson, who's just kind of been MIA. Thank you, coaching staff of the Arizona Cardinals. I have no idea what's going on there. But hopefully they can tap into that. I feel like they have the talent. They're just not putting it together. So I'm going to go with the Cardinals. And Mark phoned in his pick for the Denver Broncos as well. So that brings us to the next game. On Sunday night, the Los Angeles Rams are heading to the Bay Area to play the San Francisco 49ers. The Rams are favored by 10.5 points. 10.5 points. On the road. On the road. At Levi's Stadium. In Santa Clara, California. This is tough. The the Rams are always tough because the the lines are so big. Right. Um, You know what? I'm going to go with – I'm going to do it. I'm going to take the 49ers here. Um, The Rams are a little bit beat up. They're they're struggling at their skill positions. Um, Cooper Cup, Brandon Cooks both had concussions coming into this week. Uh, Cooper Cup is now dealing with a, a MCL sprain, I believe. So he's probably going to be out. Um, I just think it's really hard in the NFL to to continue to win and not not drop a game here or there. I think this um, might just be that game that they drop. Um, I'm a, and Kyle Shanahan's doing great things with San Francisco. Even though Jimmy Garoppolo's down, they're hanging with the um, – the Green Bay Packers right now. I'm gonna I'm gonna take those points in San Francisco. All right, um, I agree. Kind of just with what we just saw, and what I just said about the Rams. Like I tend to favor home teams. Like 
The 49ers? That was my phone making that noise. You have a very confused look on your face. Sorry. Um, home team, 49ers are trying to figure out who they are, but looking better each week with C.J. Beathard. And the Rams are just kind of stumbling a little bit. Um, I do think the Rams are going to win, but I'm going to guess it won't be by a full 10.5 points. So, I mean, they could win a 34-24 to 24 game, and I would still cover this. So I'm going to go ahead and go with the San Francisco 49ers to cover those 10.5 points. And Mark, I believe, picked the L.A. Rams. Nope, he picked San Francisco. We all did. Wow. Oof. Wow, wow, wow. Okay, which leads us to the Browns game, um, which I'm probably not feeling as confident about this game as I was this time last week. I was feeling real good about headed to Tampa to play this game. And, hmm. I'm, I traveled to Cleveland and got really disappointed last year when the Browns just completely crept the bed against the Bengals. And I'm, it was the worst game of the season by and far. I haven't felt that poorly about the Browns until watching this game this past week. And so it brought that all back right on the precipice of, of us going to see the Browns again in person. I'm just wait. I'm you, like I'm you, playing defense. Like I the the te- the Kevin Hogan game against the Texans didn't didn't bring you down into the depths. No, that was just funny. That was just funny because it was a horrible decision by Hugh. Like I didn't expect to win that game. The expectation level was completely different for that. But the pressure was on because we had their pick, their first pick, and we needed to beat them. It didn't matter. It was a wash either way. Somebody loses. Oh man, so I've picked for the Browns every week. Every week, and I think I'm turning more negative. And I think this is the first week I'm going to pick against the Browns. The game, the line—I don't think I've said it yet—is yeah, Tampa Bay favored by three. So they're basically getting their home field advantage, and that's about it. So people are saying these. Two teams are fairly evenly matched, which I agree. It's a little bit hard to determine how this one will go. But I know Tampa can score points. And I know that they're not great on defense. But our offense has been pretty crappy the last two weeks. And I just don't have a ton of confidence that we're going to be able to put up enough points to cover what the Bucks are going to be able to score. So I'm going to go with the Buccaneers, unfortunately. Gonna be a contrarian. Um, I think we need to take a longer, a longer view than than just this last week. I mean, the the week before we beat the Baltimore Ravens, who have the best defense in the league, and just shut out the Titans. So that's that's a great win. I think Baker coming off this bad week comes back with a vengeance. I like our matchup against the Bucks that they struggle on the ground and they're gonna have to air it out. We're going to let our pass rushers just kind of pin their ears back. And um, our secondary's actually proven to be pretty good this year. Um, so I'm going to take take the Browns plus the points all day. And that is the pick that Mark Kuhn came with as well. So I'm, I'm proud of you guys. We need, we, need the overall, we need the positivity at large here on the Sin of Our Fathers podcast. Oh, boy. Well, oh, another note for everyone. We just had a new shipment of stickers come in. 
Oh boy. We have some podcast stickers that are actually quite well designed, I will say. Who by, designed those? Um, one of my brothers did. Um, <laughs> and Thanks, bud. They, we have a few hundred of them, actually. And so we'll hand some out at the game. So if we see you at the game, hopefully we get a chance to give you one. But we'd also really like some ratings. We aren't that good at just kind of like begging for these sort of things that actually help our podcast a lot. But we're going we're gonna to do it in this case. We could use some ratings, so please go on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts and give us a positive five-star rating. Send us evidence of that. Either DM us or send us an email showing that rating that you posted and give us your address, and we'll send you one in the mail. Uh, We put a picture up on our uh, Twitter account, so you'll see what this sticker looks like. Um, But it's awesome, and we would love for you to support the podcast and help us out a little bit. So um, we'll we'll pay you for it in sticker. In the form of a sticker and, and a stamp for each person that we have to send this to. That's true. It's quite an investment <laughs> by the podcast. What do you think? This is probably going to cost us like five bucks total. <laughs> we're running on a shoestring budget over here. We are. We, we are. We're getting ready to send some stickers out to a friend in Oklahoma who emailed us this last week to tell us a story about him and his son or his girlfriend's son and going to Cleveland and he grew up a Oklahoma Sooners fan. And so Baker Mayfield and he just jumped on the Browns bandwagon, um, which he's more than welcome to do because Lord knows we could use everybody we can get. Um, so if you send us a, if you send us an email, if you have a good story, if you have something you want us to maybe talk about on the pod, um, if it's particularly good, we'll, we'll reach out and we'll send you a sticker as well. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll be back, hopefully, after a joyous victory for the Browns. Go Browns. Go Browns. Go Browns.